0: Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who still carries around plenty of that teenage angst and wishes that I would book more punk rock guests because he's told me that the world needs now is another folk singer like he needs a hole in his head. Here's my co host from the Left Coast. Here's Wayne Fugate.
1: Uh, Ola Ben Hamin, truer words have never been spoken.
0: Yes. So for this episode, we have a special guest. You probably know him best as the co founder and guitarist of one of my favorite bands, Cracker. I'm not talking about David Lowry. So in addition to his outstanding work in Cracker, he's also done a ton of of uh, other side projects, including the Hickman-Dalton gang, as well as some solo albums. So please welcome to the podcast, Johnny Hickman.
2: Good evening, afternoon, morning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Whenever you're listening to this podcast, absolutely. We'll cover all the time zones there. All right. So the premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of the podcast, I ask the all-important question. So what T-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with Johnny.
2: <laughs> I'm uh, uh, Well, the, the Cracker fans who call themselves crumbs are pretty, pretty aware of my uh, fandom for The Big Lebowski, the film The Big Lebowski, to the point where I've got probably seven or eight Lebowski shirts, but the one I'm wearing right now is, uh, if you're familiar with the movie, is Larry's Homework. It's a white t-shirt. It's got Larry's Homework printed on the front.
0: Very nice. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> Wayne, how about you? What t-shirt are you wearing? You know, I, I know you don't want this
1: podcast to go political, but I'm wearing my Keith Richards for president shirt.
2: <laughs> I resemble that remark, Wayne.
1: <laughs> All good. I know he's not a naturalized citizen, but I'm still rooting for him.
2: Hey, He's lived in New York for decades. I think he's in. <laughs> and he's Keith.
0: Right. Uh so I am wearing a shirt that I have worn before on the on the podcast. Um it says something about Johnny and David on it. So so I'm I'm wearing uh I'm wearing a cracker t-shirt in honor of uh having Johnny Hickman on uh, the podcast today. Thank you, brother. Is would it be the
2: one with the skulls?
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I I know it well. Yeah, that's a that's a good one the fans really like that one, so.
0: That was that was my favorite design, so uh, I <laughs> Gave you some of my money. Thank
2: you. You've got dead Johnny and dead David, and oh, thankfully we're neither of us are. But uh, you know, it's a good shirt. I like
0: that one. It's a great shirt. So, uh, so Cracker has churned out a ton of records over the years.
2: About ten now, which, yeah.
0: Yeah, many of which that I think uh, a lot of people have not noticed, other than us Cracker fans. Uh, right. And I think a lot of people think that Cracker started and ended in the early '90s. So, not so <laughs> yeah so so how are you guys doing the marketing to to just let people know that you guys are still in existence you are not dead and and you are not skulls like what's <laughs> playing on my t-shirt right
2: No, we've uh we were lucky i i think we were very fortunate in that our first record just uh the self-titled cracker which the, the crumbs as they call themselves the fans call brand because it says cracker brand uh the first record did did respectively well and went nearly gold and then our sophomore effort you know you know if your first record does too well then anything you do after that is seen as like a downhill so i'm really thankful that kerosene hat which was our second record kind of went through the roof and eventually went platinum so we kind of arced up that way and since then we've made eight more records and they've all kind of stayed at this nice plateau Uh, and as terrestrial radio sort of became and MTV and all these other things became sort of less significant we've been supported and uh, buoyed on by our fan base and we play all over the world and we tour we've been on tour basically we have another t-shirt that's a big seller with the fans now it says um, always on the road since 1991 which is uh, is true I mean David and I with various incarnations of Cracker have been on the road for almost 30 years which is a sheer joy and sustained by our fans you know
0: yeah and uh that the fans were congregating what for like 15 years for the the camp out oh yeah yeah so this was the last year that you guys did the camp out right
2: yeah we just had 15 and final of our camp out uh festival out in california and it was a sheer joy we had fans from from all over the world they i love that it's, it's like it's they're like a biker gang or something it's like they're crumbs uk crumbs southern contingent crumbs california crumbs east coast and know, and it's crumbs canada you know it's it's beautiful and they uh they knew it was the last festival so they they all came out and it was just wonderful it was sold out like months in advance and over the top great
0: yeah i never got a I never got a chance to experience that uh that so uh i'm uh i'm kicking myself that i didn't come to to at least one of them by
2: well, your location you should come to camp in which we have in january of a year it's our other festival
0: that's the one in georgia right
2: it's in athens georgia and it's usually around the end yeah. of january which is what it's going to be this year just letting you know that you uh, if you don't make it to that one you're out <laughs>
0: okay. all right well
2: you're at that point you're a chrome all lower caps okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> sounds like i'm gonna be uh booking some travel for january then there you go now, now, when when people show up to a Cracker show, do you do you get people that are like, "Oh my gosh, you guys are still around? You guys are still churning out records?" I mean, are do, do you get surprised fans? Yeah, the
2: only time that really happens is when we're playing to an audience that is has a high level of uh, of civilians, as I call them. These are people that are vaguely aware of Cracker and they come to a festival like a big city fest or something. And I know these guys; I know a couple of these songs. And then they end up buying a CD and realize that, wow, they've never really gone away. They're still at it. Uh, as far as a cracker show, uh, you know, booked in a club or a, a small auditorium or, you know, so so forth in major cities, I mean, I'd say 70, 75% of the people there are pretty hardcore fans. And the other people who they brought along from work or their friends or family or their spouses, whoever, uh, they, they are then indoctrinated into the world of crumdom and Cracker fans and uh usually they stay with us and that's how the fan bases continued to grow I mean we're not all over the place we're not uh, you know a, a big band that uh, you know uh, not to the level of you know the, the, the top top bands and we're not a, we're somewhere in the nice middle you know we're not you know yeah we uh yeah, we've just maintained through our fan base and staying and connect staying connected to them, and they stay connected to one another. We've managed to to just to, to keep doing this and to keep making records and to tour all over the world, which we
0: do constantly. so I got to go back to I guess you were here in what January in Orlando? yeah, yeah, so let's let's go back to that that gig. So uh, that venue had a nine p m. curfew right. to make to make room for club night. And I right. don't think David was very happy about having to start a show <laughs> at six fifteen.
2: Well, you know, uh, anymore we're not—we're really not so bad with that. Uh, we hope that everybody can get off work and make it down. But yeah, I mean, our our demographic, our you know, people our age, people that were in college when we first came to fruition uh, on the public scene. So we're we're kind of okay with that. Starting real early—that's a little tough because then you get people straggling in when they get off work. And but it's fine with us. I mean, our fans would rather, you know, be able to get go and get let the babysitter go home and uh, get a good night's sleep before work the next day. So, if we're off stage by 10 10:30, then it's, it's everybody wins,
0: you know. Yeah. I gave him major kudos because so so for that particular gig it was David doing Camper Van Beethoven ahead of cracker. Right. right. And and I was right in the front, so I had the I had the 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 line of sight on the set lists uh-huh. and uh, pictures of Matchstick Man was was supposed to be like maybe the second or third song <laughs> and he and he noticed that a lot of people weren't in the venue yet right so he switched it up sure and played you know I won't say an obscure song but 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 a a, a less recognizable song than than sure. Matchstick Man and then he came back to it once the venue was more full and i i, I gave him major kudos well that, yeah we talked about it on a podcast episode didn't we didn't we Wayne
1: Yeah, absolutely did
0: yep. yeah so i do have to go back and and i'll i'll switch gears off of this orlando gig in just a moment so i, That's I have fine. to I have, i'm i'm hoping you have a good memory because i want it i want to know because i got in a little squabble with another quote unquote fan that was there on setlist.fm okay so i'm one of the, i'm i'm one of those guys that's always putting in the setlist for the the shows that i go and see yeah after
2: the fact i think i think that's fine I, that's people dialing in tight and i think that's a, that's a fine thing of course as you've seen we, we put a setlist down and we usually follow it uh, 60 70 percent you know uh somebody will yell out a song and David and I will look at each other and kind of nod and go, "Yeah, what the heck? We haven't done it in a while." And then uh, we l- launch into it, hoping that uh, the lineup of the band uh, knows it. <laughs> we're, we're kind of reckless and fearless that way, but it makes for a, mo- a, a more enjoyable show for David and I. I mean, we've you know we play these songs a lot of times, and uh, we love them; they're all our babies. But yeah, we we kind of dive into the set list, and then it kind of goes up, down, around. A little of that is sort of sort of getting a sense of what the people are in the mood for, uh, you know, we'll pull out obscure songs. And there's some cities we play where they would rather hear that more than the, than the radio hits. Um, but we we're one of those bands that we always make sure to play the radio hits because it might be somebody's first cracker show and that might be the only two, three, four songs they know. And that's fine. You know, we're still proud of those songs, you know, so we're always happy to do them. Sometimes we'll do low first. Or we'll do get off this first or euro trash girl yeah. somewhere near the beginning of the set and then put another radio song maybe toward the end or whatever you know so the only rule as david and i oh have said since the we sat down to write songs together is the only real rule is don't
0: suck right <laughs> solid rule. yeah so i so i grabbed david's set list after we were after you guys were done oh cool and on there, um you guys had been playing the Dylan cover Man and me, sure. but it wasn't played that night, yeah. Um, instead instead you had played wedding day right so the so the other dude on setlist kept changing it back he was like no I'm, they've, they've been they've been playing Dylan every night i'm like they didn't they didn't play it that night no we didn't okay thank you all right so i'm 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 going to go back on setlist change it and and i will give him the url for this podcast there episode you go. No, and we, say we... johnny said they did not play it that night no
2: we didn't you know All probably right. every night, but that, but you know that's uh, <laughs> beside the point,
0: right, so it's been a couple years since you guys have put out a record, so the last record was Berkeley to Bakersville, right right, and based on the title of the record, so were you kind of giving some shout outs to some of your roots
2: absolutely uh which are you know we split it between the two the two records uh uh roots in the punk rock scene around Berkeley in that area of the country and Bakersfield, which is where I was hanging out and playing in uh, some country bands just for my own amusement and, and to write some of that kind of music, when David and I tracked each other down and started what became Cracker. So, yeah, we've got roots in both those areas and we're influenced by punk rock, psychedelic, and certainly by the Bakersfield sound and country. That's part of our bloodstream as well. So, yeah, uh, that record, you know, we usually put all those elements into a Cracker record, but on Berkeley to Bakersfield, it was David's idea. He said, let's, put, let's sort of split them into two. Discs, and I liked the idea. And I said, "Well, this is kind of risky. This is kind of ballsy to do." Number one, to do a double disc, a double record, uh, in in this day and age, but also to sort of, sort of, uh, you know, make a point of splitting the the subgenres apart a little bit. And it and it did really well. It uh, you know that record was what four and a half, almost five years ago, and the reviews were great. It was really embraced by the fans uh, here and in Europe, and so you know it gave us some momentum. We've been on on tour. <laughs> pretty much since it came out you know supporting that record and uh now we're finally taking a breath doing solo things david just put out a solo record i'm working on another one right now and that's a lot of fun uh and we do that when we're we're not doing cracker work we're each doing our separate little entities of of bands and music and solo stuff
0: for this record did you go to bakersfield and berkeley and play play some gigs there we
2: didn't play in in bakersfield I'm, I'm, i'm sad to say we could have gone back to some old haunts and played in Oildale, which is sort of the rougher part of Bakersfield. Yes, there there is such a thing. Uh, that would have been nice. Maybe we'll get there uh, at, at some point. But yeah, we uh, we toured it all over the place. And Bakersfield's got its own unique sound. And uh, some of the, the people who reviewed the record said, yeah, these guys have always sort of had that sound, that country that's not gooey, like modern country. It's more has a, a connection to rockabilly and more of a harder snare and a little more rocking, you know, it's like uh, Dwight Yoakam and, you know, Merle Haggard. It's, it's, it's a little more streamlined and a little less uh, frills.
0: I I think that the amount of artists that have come out of Bakersfield is pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, you already mentioned Merle Haggard, Buck Owens is from there. Um, I was not aware that Jonathan Davis from Corn is from there
2: yeah he's from that area yeah uh pretty diversified i mean it's such a music town yeah it's sort of like our version of nashville but without all the cheese <laughs> and uh so because it's a music town you have rock people you have uh you know country people obviously uh, tex-mex all kinds of beautiful side side uh, sounds um it's like you know being from california it's such a massive state that you have these pockets of different kinds of music, you know, you got Queens of the Stone Age, who are kind of more from our area out near Indio and Redlands, and these sort of just on the edge of the desert, uh, you know, sounds right. and uh, there's kind of a, there's a really driving sort of rock element out there. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a, it's the state really varies from whatever uh, county you're in.
0: So I'm assuming that's where the that's where all the country influences are coming from for you then.
2: Basically, I mean, where we grew up, which is about an hour and t- twenty minutes inland from east of Los Angeles, uh, there was as much country radio in in, in our reality as there was a Zeppelin or punk rock when it came along. Uh, it's just yeah, it's just part of our our blueprint really.
0: So I got to ask you, so how does how do you and David decide which songs are going to make it onto a Cracker record as opposed to? something that maybe he's writing that ends up being on a camper van beethoven record
2: well as as david puts it yeah the song kind of tells you at some point you know we both had songs partially or fully written that end up on our solo records and not on cracker records uh for that same reason It's like "Ah, i think i'm going to keep this one to myself some of them we write specifically for our own records our solo records but uh there have been songs that have been kind of bopping along and you know, I perfectly fine because David's very prolific. He writes a lot, and I, I do too. But he writes even more than I do. Uh, and songs will gravitate toward uh, Campervan Beethoven. It's more that style uh, for a band that doesn't really have a specific style. I mean, neither band does really Cracker or Campervan Beethoven. But some songs seem to just, just to be a better fit with one of the bands or the other. And uh, as I said, we're all we've always got new ones you know up our sleeves, so it's it's not a worry. And there was one song we were working on in the studio uh right about the time Camper Van Beethoven got back together and it was a song that David and I wrote and it ended up on a Camper Van Beethoven record. He said, "Does that how do you feel how do you feel about that?" I said, "Oh, I'm honored. I'm a Camper fan." So a song called That Gum You Like ended up on the the new uh, Camper Van Beethoven record which David and I wrote. Well, that that to me that's an honor, so that's very cool. Yeah, there's no no set rule or rhyme or reason to how we do it. It's just a A song feels more like a solo song or a camper song or a cracker song, and it finds its home that way.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering if he ever thought, he's like, yeah, I don't know if Johnny's going to be cool harmonizing a line like, bring to me the anti-venom, make me a sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I certainly
2: would have been, you
0: know, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. That's a reference to "Too High for the Lovin," uh yeah. which is a camper song. If you're not familiar, so. a great camper song, absolutely. Yeah, I love I love that song. It's so fun. I was re-listening to um, your record called "Forever" today, uh-huh. and so, and I think that I uh, I completely um, you know blew out my original hypothesis of well those are those are lyrics that you know are more suited for a camper camper record because. Like if you listen to um, Brides of Neptune, where the character is trying to date a mermaid, and right. <laughs> uh, You've got a, got a song about uh, you're being you're so beautiful that you should be guarded by monkeys. So uh, I guess there is no there is no uh, limit on which lyrics go to which song, or, or no. But which... it, you know,
2: either one of those songs would have been a, a fine Camper Van Beethoven song. The instrumentation sure. might have been a little different, but uh, yeah, I mean. Uh... And I listened to certain camper songs that could have easily fit on a cracker record. For example, uh you know, "Darken Your Door," which when David and and uh, and Greg were writing it, Greg called me and he said, "Am I ripping off some of your licks here? It sounds so much like you." And I said, "Wow, (laughs) let me hear it." Yeah, it does sound like me. And then I I played him what I had mapped out to uh, add to uh "I'm Sorry, Baby," a song that David had written. I was writing guitar melodies and harmonies and things for but i was really trying to do it in the greg leicher style you know <laughs> so right about the same time we each came up with uh, with melodies and music uh as with songs we were writing with david that were sort of complementary of each other's style so you know that that sort of shows you how closely the two bands sort of operate and you know the way we create so all good no rules the only rules are don't suck
0: There you go. There you go. So, so for your solo records, do you get, do you get people who are like surprised that you sing? Like if they're not familiar with Lonesome Johnny blues, for instance. uh, Right. Yeah. It
2: took a little while. I mean, I learned a lot about singing from David. I had never sung on a record before we made the first record and I had this song, uh, another song about the rain, which I wrote with another friend of ours, Chris Leroy. And, uh, I'd never sung on a record before, and I go back and listen to it now. I said, "Boy, I sing that so much better live now." <laughs> but yeah, I was—I learned how to sing after we started what became Cracker. We were writing songs together, and uh, you know, David encouraged me to sing here and again. And I sing harmonies all over all our records. You can hear right. it, right. and when you see us live, but uh, he sort of coaxed me into sing—you know—taking a lead vocal here and there, which you know, one of our favorite bands growing up were the Rolling Stones. It's like Keith will take a vocal here and there, you know it's just part of the personality of the band. And uh, so when I started making solo records, uh, beginning with Palm Hinge, which, you know, it came out of the gate, you know, I just, you know, I was approached by a few small labels. You Hey, you're going to put out a solo record. Well, we know that you do a lot of co-writing in Cracker. We're interested to see what you have. And so I was talking to little labels. And then I just got to a point where I realized, I, I think I can do this myself and just put it out myself. So I did uh, Started my own little label and put it out myself, Camp Stove Records. And, it ended up getting reviewed all over the place, and some very favorable reviews. It got Voices Choice, in Village Voice, and Robert Christgau who's sort of the, the Pope of all rock journalists, gave it a, a great review. And I, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. I don't even know how he got a copy of it, but you know, I was yeah. more than happy. And uh, the record has done well, and I've since done another one, Tilting, uh, you know, a few years back, and I'm working on a third one. So you know, it's just the way David and I as individuals are, we're very different as, as personalities and as people in a lot of ways. But one, one of the things we really have in common other than the same birthday, which is kind of odd is that uh, we both just involve ourselves in music. If we're away from cracker and he's away from cracker and camper, he's doing other things too. He teaches at the university and, in in Athens, uh, you know, a course that's based around music and music finance and the music business. And uh, he does that. He just put out a solo record, uh, which is fantastic—a very, very uh, intimate, mostly David's voice and acoustic guitar. It's called "Shadow of the Bull." It's sort of very autobiographical. It's 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 wonderful, and uh, and I'm about I'm about two thirds of the way through making another solo record, um, cool. which is g- brings me to why I I chose "Blood on the Tracks." Uh, I don't know how you how familiar you are with "Wildflowers," Tom Petty's record "Wildflowers."
0: one of my favorite records of all time.
2: Ah, oh, mine too. And that one and Blood on the Tracks, to me, just embody you know, the male version of a breakup record, basically. I mean, the record's touch touching a lot of things, but they're sort of centered around a rough breakup, which, you know, I've written, Dave and I have both written plenty of songs. We've known each other 40 years. I mean, there's been some breakups in there. You know, it's gonna happen. It's gonna become part of your songwriting, some of the colors you go to when you're painting those pictures. But I'm kind of working on a record right now that reflects on some of those times in my life, and uh, it's a little bit thematic that way, and and so that's why Blood on the Tracks has always kind of spoken to me. I heard it when I was a, a young guy, very young guy, I think in my teens when it came out, and it just really just was a life changer for me. To that point, up to that point, I was just considered myself a guitarist, and I wanted to be Jimmy Page or you know uh, David Gilmour from Pink Floyd. I wanted to be you know that guy. And then uh, once I heard that record, it, it it pushed me to be a lyricist as well, which you know I am for Cracker and for my solo work, and it just opened up all new avenues for me. So
0: on that on that note of uh, you writing a breakup record, so let's go back to Palm Hinge because I I feel like it's lucky. Can do you consider that a love song?
3: Yeah, even lucky for the bad. Just look at you have tried Sometimes I
2: Well, that was written by my friend chris and i and it was sort of loosely just sort of a love song to someone who's lost and it never specifies in the song yeah. whether this is a mate or a friend or 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 what have you but uh it's just a tender song and it it's not quite as personal as that um so i wouldn't call that one a breakup song another song about the rain which chris and i also wrote most certainly a breakup song uh, and some of the other ones, uh, but yeah, Palmhenge. Palmhenge. If there's a theme to Palmhenge, it was sort of my farewell to California when I moved to Colorado. Uh. Uh, and then that's when one of the one of the reviewers caught that, and he said it's it's sort of imagines California as a lost world. And uh, uh, you know, there's a line in there that says, you know, uh, the surf is up, but the chips are down on the dark side of my room, which is referencing the Beach Boys and sort of the dark side of the brian wilson sort of dark side of california uh it's just under the surface and that's kind of where that record came from
0: you know what i find interesting on on palm hinge so uh it feels like it feels like a country record even though not all of the songs have that country sound but i feel sure. like i feel like you went all storyteller which is what most country artists do they're they're painting a painting a Picture telling a story, sure, and you the good got, ones, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you and you've got all sorts of songs about certain people. So, so, so sure. let me so let me ask you about some specific songs off of that. So, who who is Little Tom?
2: Little Tom was sort of an amalgam of uh, of characters. I was reading a lot of true crime history around that time. I still do. It's just one of my. If I hadn't been a musician, I probably been, would have been a forensic uh, <laughs> scientist. I that was kind of. Slightly going down that path uh, I'm fascinated by crime history And, and the solving of crimes and, this. and so I was reading a lot of that A lot of crime history And it's sort of an amalgam of some of the people That sort of fell through the cracks That guy uh, He's obviously had a tough time And he's telling his story But it's, I don't get too specific I think it's good to keep things To let a little bit of the story happen In the, the listener's mind As opposed to being too uh, To too direct with it and yeah that so that that guy, and he's uh, he's young, he's been through far too much, too young. Uh, you get that sense, uh, I think I hope I hope that comes across and uh, he's uh, probably an orphan, and he talks about a home that the government found him and the sister that he never saw uh the sort of reality for some of these people that do fall through the cracks and become wards of the state and so forth. so that was sort of the inspiration, and I just sort of built a song around it,
0: yeah, all right there's some other people on this record harvest harvest <laughs> queen who's the harvest queen oh that one's
2: got a that one's that song's got a pretty rich history it's pretty crazy uh when dave and i were working on songs for what became the first cracker record it really wasn't even a cracker yet it was just two buddies hanging out and, and, and writing one of the uh, we, we just had a big list of song titles and riffs uh he would call it the riff bank what you got in the riff bank johnny and i would pull out a riff and we'd build a song around it or he would have a a story he was telling, and I would put riffs to it and sort of frame it, you know, and put put the riffs to his, his song that he was partially done with, and that's sort of the way we've worked when we co-write. And one of the titles he had long, long time ago was Harvest Queen. It was just he, we just thought it was, sounded like a good title, but we never really went very far with it. At some point, I kind of wrote that riff and then we put it to bed for years and years, and then I had a dream one night that I was a migrant farm worker. And there was a very vivid dream. And there was this beautiful woman uh, who I later took to be a brujera, a witch, and she was up in the sky and she was naked and she was stunningly beautiful. And she was as big as the entire sky. And then she would shrink down to being the size of all of us and then burst into flames. And she was beckoning me and some of the other farm workers toward an old car, like a 20s or 30s car at night by the moonlight. Uh, And and then I woke up. It was kind of terrifying and sort of erotic at the same time. So I had that riff and I just sort of built the song around it. And Chris Leroy, our other co-songwriter, he's written some songs that ended up on Cracker Records with us. He came up with some other musical parts. And I just basically wrote down what I'd seen in the dream. Uh, You know, this this ghostly witch woman in the sky beckoning uh, me and the other farm workers toward the car for whatever she had in mind, I don't know so there you go it's a song that sort of grew over many many years and finally when i had that dream i woke up and broke the whole damn thing down and that was that
0: we're gonna have so many listeners going i want whatever johnny is having (laughs) (laughs) that is that is crazy story man Uh, i love it absolutely true man i love it I assume you're the San Bernardino boy. Oh,
2: not by a long shot. Well,
0: uh, you know, there's a little bit, you got to put a little bit of yourself in every yeah.
2: character you create. Now that, uh, that guy came from, there was a festival called the us festival. It was a massive, massive oh, festival. Yeah. I believe, you believe oh, yeah. the, 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 the Apple guys were the, the financiers and it was in San Bernardino, California, which has one of the highest uh-huh. crime rate. Uh, it's what, it's the biggest County in America. It's parts of it are wonderful. Parts of it are sort of tragic and, uh, Anyway, they had the uh, the Us Festival, There's was a massive festival, and I went for sort of New Wave Punk Day, and I also went for Metal Day. And I being there on like the hard rock sort of metal day, uh, there was this poor character, and he really was by the keg, and he really was dancing on his broken leg. And his friends were trying to get him to go get some medical attention for his quite obviously broken leg and uh he was pretty inebriated by this point and he just was arguing with them telling them i'm not i'm not leaving until i see ozzy man (laughs) so he he became the inspiration to the song the san bernardino boy because he was just kind of a mess and i felt sorry for them and the last i saw the guy who was the inspiration for that song uh he was being uh carried off by the cops uh who had hadn't got uh, gotten a little rough with him but they were basically just trying to get him to go to an emergency room i think but i i in a darkly humorous way he summed up what it meant to be from north side sort of the bad side of san bernardino and uh, that song just popped up you know like what if he showed up at your house you know i i imagined him in all these scenarios
0: so who was at that new wave day
2: oh god the pretenders i think it was the very last show of the clash uh they were just oh, all manner of great great okay. bands yeah, yeah it was toward the very very end of the clash, which was sad because i I was a big big fan of the clash. To me, they sort of you know embodied this these bands that have a couple of different singers and a couple of different songwriters, and it makes them better uh the Beatles, Rolling Stones, the clash uh shit Fleetwood Mac I mean, you know these bands that it's not just this one guy, it's a couple of guys and they all contribute and uh, i I always loved that about the clash that you got the strummer songs and you got the Mick Jones songs. And they were different, but they all sounded like The Clash. And it was just, uh, I was sad to see them break up, but I'm glad to see. It wasn't the last show, it was one of the two last shows before they finally called it quits. And they were the headliners, too, so that was pretty incredible.
0: Now, U2 was on a different day than The Clash, right?
2: Yeah, I think U2 were kind of on the what people were calling sort of the new wave rock, sort of new music day. And then there was like a big heavy metal sort of Judas Priest and Ozzy and all these people. And I kind of felt out of my element. I mean, I had really short blue hair and a Misfits shirt on. But you know, I thought, I'm not, I, I want to see these guys too. That, that that should be fun. And that's where I saw the the uh, the poor San Bernardino boy character.
0: There you go. All right, Wayne, I'm monopolizing the interview questions as per usual. <laughs> uh, you got, what you got, Wayne? Got anything?
1: Uh, no i uh, the great decline was definitely my favorite song off of that uh, oh thank I did, you a chance to listen to a lot of it because you had me immersed in bob dylan
2: <laughs> okay the great decline uh just real quickly i uh i had that big riff and i it's one of one of many riffs in the riff bank i was sort of knocking it around cracker but it never turned into anything and i said nah, i like that riff so i took it home and i was this was written several years quite a few years ago and some of the fans say, "Oh, you 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 were prolific with that one. You were you were you were you were you kind of saw what was coming down the pike with all the outsourcing and this that and the other thing." I was reading a lot of books on on uh, the, the U.S. economy at the time and where things were going. And uh, yeah, I mean, the line in there, "So much for your res the job you had your eye on has now sail has just sailed across the sea." So much for your resume. So much for your degree. That's where things were just starting to go when I wrote that song. And since then, I mean. The whole tech sector has moved over across the ocean. I mean, it's 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 kind of dismal. I mean, you know, I have a lot of friends in the in the in the tech world that you know their jobs were outsourced, and so they were left, you know, with mortgages they couldn't pay and so forth. So, yeah, it's it's a it's dark, little dark subject in that song, but uh, it's got an it's got a joyful beat and a riff. <laughs>
0: All right, one last question before we jump into uh, some Bob Dylan. So, okay. We've been asking all of our guests this. Toto's Africa, good or bad song?
2: I absolutely love that song, unabashedly, right. unashamedly.
0: That's fantastic <laughs> news to hear. Uh, right. my, it,
2: it's one of my sons. Yeah, one of my son, my son who's now 16, and he's loved that song along with everything else I've sort of thrown at him since he was like four or five he could sing that song right on key and he was just grooving to it when he's a little tiny guy and he still likes the song so i said that's a sign of a well-written well-recorded song that's a that's a great song i'm not really sure what he's going on about i mean did he go there does he did he dream about it i don't know but it's it's a beautiful song i i i uh i'm on the i'm on the thumbs up side for that one all
0: right yeah. i'm back on the w column i was a little i was getting <laughs> little a little worried. got a little street going. yeah you had a little street going wayne but uh, i'm back on the w column so Anyway,
1: <laughs> I'm in it for the long haul. So, we're,
0: <laughs> eventually, we're going to put out an episode just talking about why we're asking all of our guests about Toto's Africa. It's a long story, and uh, okay, yeah. Anyways, all right. So, tell us what record you chose to revisit. I
2: chose, uh, you know, people. People will say this often. This is a record that changed my life, but uh, it, it, literally, the the record uh, "Blood on the Tracks," Bob Dylan. Uh, did change my life. I was a teenager just starting college. And at that point, I was into hard rock and uh, punk rock hadn't happened yet. But I was into, I don't know, deep purple and, you know, a lot of rock and Zeppelin and these sort of things. And I was aware of Bob Dylan. I'd heard him as a kid and I heard him on the radio. But an art professor in an art class I was in put him on one day. We were all painting. And it just completely turned me on my head. As, and, you know, as to the power of... The lyrical side of things uh and there's no one better than bob in my book i mean neil young comes pretty close some other incredible songwriters but that record is just the epitome of of heartbreak and of of breakup and so many emotions and the 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 characters are so vivid that you could imagine them, them sitting down and speaking to you uh he's that good at creating these these characters that populate his songs and it just floored me i think i was 17 or 18 and I'd never heard anything like this in my life and song after song just reached out and just grabbed me and said well this is this is how you write this is what this is what it is I mean it, it's it's you create characters and you 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 create stories and you uh give them dimension and you give them uh, characteristics and uh, you know so it, it it got me and it's been one of my best friends through marriages divorces kids deaths births f- friendships uh you know moving all over the all over the country Uh, that record has been a mainstay in my life and it still is you know i pulled it out uh about six months ago i hadn't listened to it in a couple years and it was just it was as as if it was a brand new fresh record to me again and uh, still feel that way
0: yeah i was asking you all those character type of questions about your your songs because i felt like oh that's where johnny is getting some influence from from dylan because there's quite a few characters that we're going to talk about on on these uh, on these songs. Sure, sure, absolutely. All right, let me get some some bio info on Blood on the Tracks. So it's it's the uh, 15th studio album by Dylan, released in Jan- wow. January of 1975. Think about that, 15th.
2: Before he would even gotten to that, yeah. Right. I
0: mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, he was putting out what, like, essentially two a year.
2: Yeah, he was. Crazy. He was. Crazy.
0: So, uh, I went
2: back and went back and got those records. It, it when Tangled Up and, I mean, when, uh, Blood on the Tracks came out, I was just vaguely aware of his earlier work and caught up real quick, you know, and had other favorites. But yeah,
0: yeah, that's, that's quite a, that's quite a, an output. Yeah. You know, so this, uh, this album actually marked Dylan's return to Columbia Records. He was on mm-hmm. Asylum for, for two albums and, um, in interviews, so I, I want to see if, if everybody agrees with me on this. So Dylan has denied that the songs on the album are autobiographical. Right. I think it's complete and utter BS. But what do you guys think, uh. think of this? <laughs> Wayne, what do you think?
1: Uh, I, you know, I think loosely at least, there's a couple of songs. There's one song that I rated maybe higher than I would have because it, it felt so genuine, and, and I just—I believe that it has got to be at least some of it. I mean, some of it's uh, very outlandish, even. I think great stories, but I mean, some of it feels feels like it has to have at least some root in uh, some basis in reality to have written it so well. Sure,
2: I, I agree with you, Wayne. Uh, I think that it—he more than any of his other records, and this one is by—is one of his. Most highly rated records of all time. Some people call it his best record. Personally, I think it's his best record, and I have a lot of them. But uh, I think it was such a personal record that it was maybe a little, a little too much for him to just say, "Yeah, it's these are all pages out of my diary." But obviously, that uh, to me, a lot of it is what he was going through, and you know, people know he was going through a divorce. But what I like about the record is that it looks at every angle of the breakup. You know, we have women that have made records like this that are just Tear Your Heart Out. I mean, it looks at it from the... It, some of the songs are angry. Some of them are playful. Some of them are sort of sweet and forgiving. And then there are one or two where it sounds like he might have he might have found somebody else and he's got a nice distraction from his heartbreak. You know, that's just my my overview uh, going through the songs and the lyrical content. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, he does a good job of staying a little bit vague. Uh, and not pinning himself down to specific places or times as a matter of fact i mean his songs by design uh, take you back and forth through decades through centuries through geography through weather he's being hailed on he's being rained on he's uh, you know and i love that and it creates more of a beautiful backdrop for what he's trying to put across I, that's just one of his specialties you know
0: so, Wayne, we've been talking about the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time in a lot of our recent <laughs> episodes. This is going to be the highest-ranked album that we've talked about so far. So this this was ranked number 16 on the, the 500 Greatest Albums, so that surpasses wow. uh, Rumors, which was ranked number 26. So, and wow. it's not even his highest-ranked, I don't believe. It is not. I believe his... His highest ranked is my favorite Bob Dylan record
1: Highway 61 Revisited
2: Great record yeah I like this one better but I, that's a great yeah, one too
0: That's number that's number four on their list um, Wow Blonde yeah. on Blonde number nine on their list as well Boy So See I
2: would put another side of Bob Dylan somewhere up near the top there because that to me that's that's one of the ones that I went back and got from his very early years that just floored me It's just amazing but you know to each their
0: own uh, you know Real diversity in, in Bob fans, you know. That's it. Uh, the album reached number one on the Billboard 200. Um, the single Tingled Up in Blue, which we'll talk about here in a moment, that peaked at number 31. This is kind of interesting, though, is this particular record was just Dylan's second number one record up to that point. The first being mm. Planet Waves, which is the record or the studio record right before this. So I thought that was right. I thought that was interesting. All right, well let's go track by track. So as a reminder, okay. our scoring is based on the number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? Ten. Which means top songs going to get ten points. Next favorite song, nine points. All the way down to our lowest score of one. Let's get this started. This is Tangled Up in Blue.
3: She was married when we first met. Soon to be divorced. Helped her out of a jam, I guess, but I used a little too much force. We drove that car as far as we could, abandoned it out west. Split up on the docks that night for the green, it was best. And she turned around to look at me as I was walking away. I heard her say over my shoulder.
0: So I think I'll talk a little bit about the production of each of the songs as well, because one of the stories that I read on the making of this was he started the recording process in New York in September of 74, and then decided to re-record a lot of the material in Minneapolis, where, of course, he's from. So final record contains essentially five tracks from New York, and five from Minneapolis. So, um, I'll, I'll talk about each one of those as we go through it. So Tangled Up in Blue, this was one that came from the Minneapolis recordings. Like I said, it reached 31. Mm -hmm. Um, and Rolling Stone in their 500 greatest songs of all time countdown, ranked this at number 68. Um, yeah. So, uh, who wants to get us started on uh, on Tangled Up in Blue?
2: Uh, I'll let one of you guys take it because I'm so biased on this particular <laughs> song. I'm just I will I will readily admit that it's not only one of my, it's not only probably my one or two favorite songs from the record. It's one of my two favorite songs. Period. So uh, I just love the rich uh, 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 the characters in it and that I like I said before he he jumps around in geography. Uh, you know he's he's in New Orleans. He's he's out, out west. He's all over the place, and it sort of jumps around between. And you you're pretty sure that he's talking about the same woman, but he puts her at the beginning of of them knowing each other and at the end, and sort of leaves it wide open. It's just, it's it's like a riddle that never gets solved. And if it were solved, it wouldn't be as good a song. I'll just let you guys take it from there. Yeah
0: one one thing that I did read is Dylan had told someone that. um he had written tangled up in blue after spending a weekend listening to Joni Mitchell's record blue which Ooh. Wayne we're gonna t- we're gonna talk about it in a couple weeks
1: and because one of the one of the things I thought of when I heard that is I wonder if there's any connection to any of the uh any of the characters in this because I I look, I looked at it just slightly different than Johnny's like this is one man's almost felt like one man's Relationships through his life, you know that first one. You're young. You're never. It's never going to work, you know. And then, of course, I love the second verse with this whole Bonnie and Clyde. Um, I still can't get my head around Bob Dylan putting a little too much force on anybody. That doesn't. That seems a little bit funny. But I mean, there's just driving till they get to, you know, till they run out of land, hit the hit the Pacific Ocean, and then splitting up, going separate ways. Split up on the
2: docks, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's a great story.
1: Uh, It's this is one of his best songs, uh, as well as one of his best known songs, and it's it's uh, it really is a highlight to everything that he does in this one.
2: I agree. I agree. Yeah, when when he says uh, when he says um, what is it? What is the line you're referring to? Uh, but i maybe used a little too much force it's it's almost that she was married yeah she was married and he used a little too much force maybe he was trying to be too influential hey leave him come with me i sort of got that was my takeaway from it and he regretted that he was a little too forthcoming with that those feelings and then maybe he lost her for that reason i don't know i like not knowing
1: <laughs> yeah and of course the weirdest line i think is uh uh, something about, oh she, when she reached down to tie my shoes, which I didn't know if that was a sexual innuendo. Or oh, like I love that! Just, yeah, it's,
2: it's definitely sensual because she was work. She's working at a topless place.
1: Anybody who ties your shoes—that just I, I love that line. That was hilarious.
2: It's a, there's an intimacy to it that's not necessarily sexual, but it is. You know what I mean? I mean, she's working at a topless place. He stops in for a beer, and you know he's looking at her face. She ties his shoes.
1: somebody's shoes. You got to And then from needs. there.
2: And then from there, almost in the same scene, uh, she reads him a book of poetry, 19th century poetry. Like, that's romantic. It's most certainly romantic. Well, and but that
1: idea. one was even weirder because the beginning of that verse is you light a pipe off of the burner on the stove, which conjures up all kinds of bizarre images, you know, drug sure. related. And then and then to have that in that same verse, the, the talk, you know, the, he handed a, a 13th century Italian poetry that that spoke to him so deeply it felt like he wrote it.
2: Yeah. It was written in my soul. (laughs) It's huge. Yeah, The song, part of the beauty of it is it jumps all over the place. I mean, are these the same women? Are these the same feelings he has toward different women? You never really find out, and I love that. He's a master at that mystique.
1: This this is definitely one of the songs, because I've not always been the biggest Bob Dylan fan, but this is definitely one of those songs that makes you think that everybody's that that they're right that that he is he's just that damn good
0: yeah i agree yeah to your poetry conversation so did anybody see the netflix documentary about the rolling thunder review that came out right around yes. this time pe- period i think it was like a year year later oh, yeah. after blood on the track so um there there's mm-hmm. one scene where it's him and and um alan ginsburg and they're visiting the grave of Jack Kerouac, and so that that changed a little bit of a few of these songs for me because I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that would totally make sense that Dylan would be completely in awe of you know the the, the basically the 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 forefather of all the beat poetry and and the beat generation, right? Absolutely. So.
2: Yeah, and Ginsburg was in that whole uh, circle yeah. of people too. So sure, such a
0: weirdo. <laughs> Anyways, um, all right, let's get some scores. So we got nine other songs we got to talk about. All right, so uh, Johnny, you already told us. I think your score, right? Yeah, yeah. I
2: got my numbers reversed yeah. here, but that's okay. Tangle Up in Blue would have had a ten for me, but it's a, I have it as one. But yeah, it's the, yeah. that's the ten.
1: I gave it a nine. While I do think that it's brilliant, um, the next song uh, just had a. I don't know. It had a, I'm going to talk about it in a minute, but the next song just had something about it that I, that I liked.
0: Yep. Personally. All right. And I give this an eight. So let's jump to the next song. So this is Simple Twist of Fate.
3: I remember well. And stopped into a strange hotel with a neon burning bright. He felt the heat of the night. Hit him like a friend. Simple twist of fate. A saxophone someplace far off played as she was walking on by the arcade as the light bust through a beat up shade where he was waking up. She dropped a coin into the cup above a blind man at the gate. This
0: has been covered and inter- reinterpreted by everybody and their dog, it feels like. Anybody got a favorite? A lot of them. Anybody man. got a favorite cover?
2: I don't think I've heard any covers of Simple Twist of Fate, so I got no... Yeah, me neither. I know it, I know it has been covered. I know a lot of his songs are covered. The
0: Brian Ferry wow. version. So he did Ooh. He did a whole record of Dylan songs in, what, 2006, 2007 time period? Oh, good for him. Fantastic. This, I mean, I I like it better than Dylan because you know it's Brian Ferry and he actually knows it's a great yeah, singer. He's yeah. a good singer. So, all right, somebody get us get get us started on "Simple Twist of Fate."
1: On this one, it it's so it's just ha- it's haunting and it's got this I mean kind of creepy cool way about it. Uh, and I first listened, I I kind of put it in the same along the same lines as "Tangled Up in Blue," where it was these separate stories. But, you know, of course, as I listen to it, I see that it, it feels much more like one story of this chance meeting and a one night stand and off she goes. And then he spends, you know, whatever amount of time trying to uh, almost duplicate that twi- simple twist of fate, which everybody knows you can't do mm-hmm. chasing almost it, it, there becomes this obs- obsessiveness about it that and all the time he just keeps real even keel with his voice and just goes about telling this story. And it uh, it just, just haunted me.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're nailing it, Wayne. That's kind of what I got from it too. It seems to be, it's like a dark little still life painting about what appears to be a one night stand and how that affects him. And he, he ponders, like you said, the randomness of it all in such a way as to make that randomness, I mean, the title of the song, uh, you know, it's kind of the emotional centerpiece of the song is that, wow, did that really happen? It was so random and obviously it it, it uh strikes him in and, and this and i love his uh his scenes you know the the light burst through a beat-up shade where he was waking up you know and she's not there what it, it's almost like yeah does he go and try to he try he contemplates hunting her down by the waterfront docks as he says and it, it it's yet another song on this record with te- frayed ends you don't really know where it went all you know is that this random uh affair shook him to his core and uh, we're left to wonder if he ever found her again or if he just sort of left it alone and let it be just a little chapter of his life you don't know
1: yeah. you know i love that i thought what was cool also is he kind of it tells it in a third person yeah. that he slips yeah. for a second in in the beginning and says "I i, re-, is it, I remember that well and then at the last verse he oh. kind of comes clean and owns up to it that it's, that it's oh. him that he was born too late I don't know if she was an older woman I didn't even
2: catch that you're right oh
1: man yeah yeah uh,
2: the whole record uh, I've heard some of the demos from the record too and he he slips easily and uh, purposefully from first person to second person he switches the the, the, the the male and female to different experiences all the way through the making of this record which was made pretty quickly but yeah I like that I like that he uh You know it's like part of his distancing from it saying it's not that personal people uh but you know a lot of it probably is uh but yeah the the first to second person it always intrigued me you know and i never really thought about that wayne is it he's doing that in one song he's he's throwing it back from first person to second person
0: that's why we pay wayne the big bucks here
2: (laughs) that's that's good that's a (laughs) that's a good insight i never really thought of it that way
0: so Uh, this was one of the new york city songs does does this does this yeah. uh, affect anything? Do you guys did you guys feel any different between? It makes total sense though. It,
1: yeah, it makes total sense. It feels like I mean, when he's telling this story, it feels like a big city. I mean, hearing the saxophone off in yep. the distance, uh, you know, the blind guy, yep. you know, the blind bum with the cup by the gate. It has a real gritty uh, New York kind of noir feel to the yep. whole thing.
2: Yeah, there's a, there's you've got the waterfront docks, but yeah, it certainly feels like a, a metropolis of a city that this is sort of handed, you know, where it happened, and that, that lends itself even more to uh, the loneliness of it. You know, you get lost in this massive group of people, but in his mind, in this little speck of reality where the light is beating through the beat-up shade, uh, you know, it's it's just he and, and, and she in his heart, and uh, the rest of it is just this random cacophony of life is the feeling that he sort of invokes? Uh, yeah, it's it's a haunting yep. song. That's a good way to put yep. it.
0: All right, let's get some scores. So, Johnny,
2: I've got that one right about five. It's hard for me because I love every song on this record. I love the record as a whole, but I'm going to put it somewhere in the center for the ones that really floored me. Yeah, yeah. I'm originally, you,
0: originally you gave me a you gave me a six on this. So we're going Did with I? five.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, we'll go with six. All right, Wayne.
1: This was my favorite song. I gave it a 10. Nice.
0: And I gave this a 9. It's my second favorite. All right. Let's move on. Here's You're a Big Girl Now.
3: Love is so simple To quote a phrase You've known it all the time I'm learning it these days Oh, I know I have to pay you a big girl all the way.
0: Is it just me or the, th- does it feel as though there's a ton of cliched lines in this song?
1: Yeah, uh, this one dropped really low for me because it, I mean, I think coming off of the two songs that just, that we, you know, we just listen to and then this is a huge drop off lyric.
0: And I think that we would probably give most songwriters a pass for some of the lyrics because it's not like they don't have a good uh, feel to them. It's just that you know we just came off of two really really solid songs and we already know that Dylan is the master of the playing on word so i I think maybe maybe my score is a little harsher than it should be because okay. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I mean, if this is most songwriters, people would be going, "That's a really great song," but compared to all the other songs that are lyrically super strong, I think you know maybe that gets a a little bit of a a a a notch notch knocked down because of that.
2: I'm with you on that one. I uh, I'm putting it at about a three for the reasons you guys are mentioning, but it also contains one of my. One of the most uh, smack you in the face lines of the whole record, which is the the line uh, with a pain that stops and starts like a corkscrew to my heart. Oh uh, man,
1: Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that stands out every time. Oh, I hear. It's
2: towards the end of the song it, yeah. too. So it makes no bones about it. it yeah. Oh, this is just killing me. And I love that that confession, you know?
1: Yeah. That's one of my notes is because like I said, I didn't think this was lyrically as strong as nearly as strong as the other two, but how visceral is that line a course oh, to man. the heart
2: yeah yeah uh, nobody could get away with that song that line but dylan and, and to do it in such a way that oh man you're you're killing me as the listener here this yeah. is incredible you know
0: production wise this is one of the minneapolis songs
2: oh i didn't see i don't know all the yeah. all those
0: details yeah. um all right that's pretty much all i have as far as my notes Wayne, any any long diatribes on this one? Or are you saving those up? <laughs> no,
1: I, I think I thought that it was for a record that is so it has like very simple arrangements. There's a lot of uh, acoustic guitar, um, bass, you know, maybe two acoustic guitars. Uh, he does go off on the organ on a couple, but this one felt uh, almost too busy. There's drums. There's a it's like a 12 string or something that's being played that kind of has this harp sound yeah. to it um coupled with the with the with the uh, the lyrics and like I can say there's something vocally he sounds he kind of he i don't know if i know he it's almost as if he just actually sang those last two songs and he's kind of out of emotion for the moment and they, they it kind of came across a little uninspired but i agree uh, a little bit yeah
2: sure it's also got another uh line in the song where there's plenty of these sorts of lines in the record where he uh i know uh I know where I can find you in somebody's room. It's like, oh, I know she's out there with another guy. You know, it's that's it's another moment of sheer pain for the protagonist, and that's also good. But I do think that compared to the other songs, it's a little, maybe that maybe that's kind of around the point where he decided to go back to Minnesota, and you know, have his he and his brother put together a real simple little lineup, and some of those songs really. Uh, rose to the top because of that, and this is one. Yeah, it sounds more like like you know might have been studio guys, and he's not. He, he's just sort of singing it, but he's not. It's not as raw. His delivery is not as raw on this one as some yeah. of the other ones. I
0: agree with you, Wayne. All right, let's get some scores. So, Wayne, Uh two, and then Johnny, what did you say? I Think I have you down for a four on this one? I got a four on this one. Yeah, yeah. and then I'm matching your four on on this, and this was one that okay. that I. I moved around a lot. Uh this was as low as a 2 for me at one point. This was as high as a 6 for me at one point. So yeah, I just split the difference. All right. Um idiot win next song. And this is this is a Minneapolis song, just so you know. Um, here's a little tidbit that only I would care about. So some of the lyrics of the song are mentioned in the song by Hootie and the Blowfish. Only want to be with you, which which led to an out of court settlement with Dylan receiving some money from Hootie. So. There you go. As well, he
2: should have. I mean, they're his lines, and it was that it, it was a big, pretty big
0: hit for Hootie. So, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Those Was my? this are my lyrics, man. You know, I don't, I don't blame him at all. This one, uh, there are some, like a lot of the songs on this record. There are things I really, really like about this song. One of the things I really like about it is, you know, if you've gone through a heavy breakup, which at this point in our lives we probably all have, yeah. there is at least there's you know he represents all these emotions, and this is probably the angriest song directed at the woman you're an idiot babe it's a wonder you still know how to breathe that's pretty that's quite a that's quite a sword he's brandishing there uh, and I like that but I think the song is not as strong as some of the other ones maybe almost sometimes because he gets it is so angry you know but of course he, he includes himself in that anger, anger. he puts himself in the, in the sights of the rifle too we are idiots babe it's a wonder we can still we still we can still feed ourselves and so on and so forth
0: since i have the benefit of seeing your guys' scores ahead of time i'm really surprised wayne that this was a lower score for you because i thought that
1: and um, i knew you would say that and, and here's the thing because i agree exactly 100 percent with what johnny just said it's it is it's very angry and it isn't lyrically as strong but the anger it's uh, it's like palpable, like it Axel Rose and, and John Axel Rose and John Lydon can get away with that. In fact, you probably prefer it. But from Bob Dylan, it sounds, it's it just sounded, it just was off-putting. Like I couldn't. It's too long. Like you, he's really mad. And it and what's weird about it is it starts out with those first two lines about you, you know you're put you're talking shit about me around town, and then it goes into. There's a reason that Hootie and the Blowfish stole that line. Those those lines about the man, you know, in gray, that this guy, he ends up with the money at the end. That's right. Those are great. Yeah. And then it goes in, then it's just, you're a stupid head and I hate you. Right. And it just goes, it just got too. And then like one thing I did love, because the organ, the organ in this is hit and miss for me, except on this, he plays it like like I can just see a, him sitting at this organ, yeah. just pounding it like a madman. Furious, And yeah. he's going? Yeah, why all these things are going through his head?
2: Yeah, he. Yeah, he, I think you could hear it in the instrumentation of the song, and it's the point of rage and meanness, and uh, he really holds nothing back uh, in this one, which is one of its strong points. But I maybe almost its weak point too. Sometimes, you know.
0: Yeah. Was well, I think
2: if he hadn't turned turned the anger on himself and blamed them both for the demise of the relationship. He might have been a little more, you know, I would have really he might have lost me. Like, wow, I get it you're angry. Ease up, man. You know. Right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's 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 the angry one of the bunch,
0: definitely. Was nearly eight minutes necessary?
2: And that that's my other point too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a long day. And I you know, it's it's Dylan. I give him I give him a pass on long songs. I've got a few myself. Dave and I both do. But uh eight minutes yeah i think it could have could have done well with a little trimming maybe put it down to five verses or four instead of eight The well many he has on there just a little bit
0: all right let's get some scores on this so wayne i I think you've already told us your score
1: yes this this was my my least yeah and
0: i give this a two and johnny how about you it's a it's my three all right so, last song on Side A, you're gonna make me lonesome when you go. It's
3: all been bad. Mine have been like the lanes and Rambo. But there's no way I can compare all them scenes to this affair. You're gonna make me lonesome when you go. You're gonna make me wonder what I'm doing. Staying far behind without you. You're going to make me wonder what I'm saying. You're going to make me give myself a good talking to. I look for you in old Honolulu, San Francisco, or Ashtabula. You're going to have to leave me now, I know. But I see you in the sky above in the tall grass and the ones I love.
0: All right. Somebody you're tell gonna me, me about you're going to make me lonesome when you go. Okay. Um, you want to start, Wayne? Sure. Um.
1: I, I, I noticed the bass work kind of stood out right away. Um, I know this is one of the ones that kind of grouped in. I kind of had a top half and then two songs that sunk right to the to the lower part. And then there was this, these probably four or five songs right in the middle that I, I, I liked them all. And it was actually really tough to kind of put one over uh-huh. the other. Um, but in the end, this one, this one... I have some. I don't know that the he goes he goes harmonica crazy on this record, and I don't know that it always works. His I will say this: his harmonica solo in this one seemed to be seemed to be just right. It was perfect for this song. Um, but the the he's a he, this is one of those songs like you're talking about the breakup because in this he's the first part of the verses are all real hopeful and how much he loves her and how great this is. And then he always ends them with, I'm going to, you're going to make me lonesome when you're gone. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, I am going to i don't know if it's, I'm going to mess this up or you're a flight risk or what exactly it is, but he knows <laughs> that as much as wonderful as this is that it's going to end. Uh, and that in and of itself was, was the cool part of it. And I love the line about you're going to make me give myself a good talking to.
2: Oh, so good. Yeah. I <laughs> love that. Yeah. This one, uh, This one stood out for me, especially after repeated listenings, because, uh, and this is putting a lot on the line here, but knowing kind of loosely what his story was, this is the song that is a departure from the record. You know, it's about heartbreak and heartache. It's about another girl. It's about a different woman. And the the first thing that keyed me to that was the lightness of it, the sweetness of it, and that he mentions uh, Queen Anne lace and crimson hair around your face where his soon-to-be ex or ex is a very dark-haired woman. <laughs> so, you know, I probably know a little too much about that story, but to me, this was a song, wow, he's kind of falling for another girl in the middle of his big breakup, and I think he's singing to her. So that made it, it I don't know that for sure, uh, but it feels that way to me, and, uh, I, if, and hence it's sort of a light, lighter moment in the record, even though he is talking about... And it's got the great lines like, you know, uh Give Myself a Good Talking To. And musically, good points when I love that it starts off with this great little up tempo harmonica solo part. And this is that great bass player, and I can't recall his name right now, from Minneapolis, where it's really just comes down to Bob on the acoustic and this guy's tremendous bass playing, where he's playing all these cool counter melodies with what Bob's doing, and it's really good.
0: Yeah, this is uh this is one of the New York production. Oh, is yeah. it? Okay. Yeah. Um what I found kind of interesting was Dylan hasn't performed this song since 1976. Wow. And but it's been covered by a lot of different people. I mean, Sean Colvin has a really great cover of this. Oh, that sounds like a good combo. Oh, it's yeah. it's yeah, it's really good. Um so I'm I'm really surprised that this song hasn't been played in forever. So that's that's why I'm going back to my comment of oh it's not autobiographical. Yeah, that's 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 <laughs> BS to me. But yeah. All right, well let's get some scores on this. So I'm giving this my 6, Wayne 5, and then John 5 and- for me too, Wayne. It's Thank a 5 for me too. Know. I I like it, but
2: yeah, it's not one of the hit home runs for me on this one.
0: Yep. All right flip the record over this is meet me in the morning All right, somebody help me because I swear I've heard this guitar riff on a different song. Probably a hundred blues songs.
1: (laughs) This is pretty standard blues. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Um, Too many repetitions in this song for me to rank it any higher, and the lyrics are pretty sparse, right? I mean, he, uh, you know, he. he, I think he he uh, essentially repeats each one of them at least once it feels like i feel like the first line in every verse
1: is repeated um that's i think part of it um i i I don't disagree i think what's funny is the the harmonica is on almost every song but two this is a classic blues like delta blues song right no harmonica this would have been a great spot to for 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 bobby to just start blowing out a big harmonica solo in the middle good point um but i think but to me, it, what it, what what kind of brought it a little bit down was that it doesn't sound like something I associate with Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. um, and I understand that I haven't really gotten the full the full scope of his catalog, but it still sounded too different. That said, I, I love the blues and I love this song, and I don't like my score at all. The one thing that kept going through my head is I would love to I would love to hear like John Lee Hooker or. Uh, no, the ice pick Albert Collins do this song. I think they. W- I think that would have been so cool to hear.
2: Oh, I agree. I'm a big blues fan too, and you know the repeating of the lines. That's just the one, four, five blues uh, blueprint. Uh, uh, it just it and, and so you, that becomes the nature of the song. It's the standard blues pattern. Uh, and I, and I forgive him for that. It's okay. He's a blues fan, obviously. Uh, but the song's a little draggy to me. And uh, the imagery is okay. I mean, he's got the barbed wire uh, and the hail. The hail comes back a few times on this album. He has gone through hail for this woman, you know, <laughs> and, and it's just falling on him, and he stumbles through barbed wire, and the dogs barking, and he's, he's he see. I think he sort of sees himself as like these an old blues man, like one of these guys you just mentioned, Wayne. Right? Uh, but he to earn her love, I've honey, I've earned your love, you know, uh, and I so I get the emotion behind it. But there's a song; it's kind of like, it's kind of you know. And it just sits there. It's okay. I kind of like the sustainy kind of long guitar notes are kind of spooky and cool. But yeah, I mean, uh, you don't want to hear my number on it, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is my last place. Yeah. I still listen to it. I still like the song, you know. But uh, yeah, it's a one for me.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm matching your one on that. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't feel so bad. No, okay. don't don't feel bad. And and then Wayne, what what do you got?
1: I gave it a three. Okay. Like I said, for all the reasons, I, I still I absolutely do love the song. And I, I can say I think uh, he wrote a great blues song. And I just don't know if it fit him as well as it would have fit yeah. uh, somebody else.
2: I'd like your buddy guy to do it.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Meet me in the morning. You know, it no, would have been cool. Uh,
0: one, one fact from uh, Wikipedia. Apparently the intersection of 56 and Wabasha doesn't exist.
2: Oh, interesting!
0: Whatever, I, for for whatever that's worth. I don't know that you can prove that, but <laughs> <laughs> I read it on the internet.
1: If Wabasha Avenue is long enough; you're going to run across 56th Street. I something.
0: read it on the internet, therefore it's true, Wayne. Oh, I forgot. I yeah. forgot about that. Report. Yeah, and if he
2: would said 56 or Wabasha, there you go. Then he could have been crossing the streets, but he said 56 and
0: Wabasha. Yeah. so there you go. Yeah. Uh, I will. I will say this, Wayne. Because uh, I've talked about my inner Beavis on a number of occasions. <laughs> so, my inner Beavis went uh, all crazy because in college, we used to call our male member the little rooster. And so the little rooster is crowing. There must be something on his mind. Just made me think of told. That kills
1: me because I had a line. I was going to say, I think 56 in Wabasha is where Robert Johnson played the devil for his soul. But then you went and threw that little rooster beavis gag. And you're doing
0: it. Those little roosters Uh, make their way through a lot of blues songs, man. Yes, Yes, they do. That is for sure. Yes, they do. All right, let's move on. Here is Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Heart. Ooh. Oh, man. He moved across the
3: mirrored room, set it up for everyone, he said. Then everyone commenced to do what they were doing before he turned their heads. Then he walked up to a stranger and he... Me friend, where time the show begins, then it moved into the corner, face down like the jack of hearts. Backstage the girls were playing. Five cards stood by the stairs. Lily had two queens, she was hoping for a third to match her pair. Right. <laughs> and
0: and you know when I do the sound clips for this podcast, usually Usually I can find some pretty decent snippets that kind of spell out a great chorus or a portion of the guitar or a drum solo or something. And this song, I struggle to find a good snippet because there is a lot of narrative going on. So much. There there really isn't a, a solid chorus on this. Um, yeah, and Wayne, it's even worse for our next episode on Leonard Cohen. I had a hard time finding good snippets of you know 40 40 to 45 second snippets on this so yeah um song has a long list of characters um got jack of hearts you've got lily and rosemary you got big jim you got the hanging judge i mean Mm -hmm. the actor the actor in the
2: costume of a monk yeah yeah, it's really populated
0: (laughs) yeah um. So this is almost nine minutes. This is a Minneapolis song. Ugh. Does it feel like it doesn't have a New York feel to me, right?
1: No. And you know, it's funny because the one thing I, because I, I, this is a song I definitely don't like my score because the narrative is so. It's this whole intricate. I mean this big, beautiful story that he's telling with all these moving parts and all this interesting stuff that's happening. And it's, it's got, he's got more colorful characters than a Guy Ritchie movie. Oh, and yeah. then, and he's got this organ, you know, the one thing that I didn't, that kind of brought it down for me was that square dance hoedown beat. But I think it's perfect. I don't think you could have done it anywhere else, but he's playing an organ with it. And it almost feels like, you know what? An accordion would have been like more would have fit the period more and it would have made more sense you can't tell me he could not have found a good accordion player in minneapolis there's no way that's true
2: that's probably him yeah it sounds <laughs> uh i i'm really crazy about this song myself Um uh, uh it, it it to me it's another little bit of a departure from a lot of the record although it it it, it suggests relationships broken hearts it said it suggests love triangles it suggests all kinds of wonderful things in the within the characters but i just love how vivid it is to the point where the characters it said it feels to me like it's set in the old west uh and there were pump organs back then they didn't quite sound like the the hammond b3 or whatever he's playing on this but uh i just love the characters and i just uh over time they became so visual to me it's like they could walk right in and sit down next to you and speak to you they're so strong uh it's long as hell but it's if it's like a film it's like the film i saw last night you know uh, once upon a time in hollywood it's long but it's just long enough to maybe get all the all the story in uh it's vivid uh it's mysterious and uh, i love how it all centers back around and this is one of dylan's uh you know uh it's kind of an old folk uh blueprint to make write a song where the last line is the title of the song of each verse i've got songs like that i, I like to write that way um And I like that. I like that there's not a set chorus. It's not verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, out. You know, it's just, uh, it's this big rambling epic Western to me. It's like a film that takes place in your mind. I love this song. And even as a teenager, when I didn't have a lot of patience, on repeated listenings, it was so good to me as far as how vivid the characters were that I just became one of my favorite songs on the record over time.
0: Yeah, let me let me tell you my two other notes on this. So okay. the first note says Jack Kerouac. That's it. Just Jack Kerouac. Because okay. this does feel like on the road to me. Mm-hmm. The second thing, probably to your point, Johnny, of why you like this song a lot is you, you've been listening to this since your youth. So yep. my note here is my adult ADD can't... <laughs> can't can't sit through (laughs) nearly nine minutes of this narrative Uh, so uh yeah you know and i
1: I didn't realize it was nine minutes um until just like i think the last time i listened to it because like to johnny's point it's very interesting like it's i never got bored listening to it and it also had this feel of a bigger like a bigger metaphor like he's almost like uh, uh, like uh, like a Rolling Stone or highway 61 Revisited where it feels like he's talking about something else he's telling this very easy to 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 visualize story but I feel like he's I feel like there's a bigger meaning that I'm just uh, once again not cool enough to get
2: there's a subtext yeah um, I just like the character I love the Jack of Hearts he's uh, the kind of the classic Old West outlaw uh, you after a a, 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 a a time you realize that it's his gang drilling to the wall to get the money, but he's the distraction. This handsome devil over mm-hmm. here, who all the girls have- the a, a man. Yeah, he, the girls all have a little crush on him, and he's just sort of he's just sort of cool. He's in the bar, and there's Big Jim. Big Jim doesn't like him, probably because the girls do. You get all these wonderful little little side tracks, uh, at least I did, of the character the, development. The
1: first thing he did was buy everybody around ra- exactly. for the house. They, yeah, he,
2: ma- he makes himself instantly likable. Yep. The girls are wondering, well, who's this stranger? He wanders in. He's not known to them. Although I like that Big big Jim is pondering, maybe I've seen a meet him on, on a wanted poster or whatever he's sort of...
1: And I definitely got the impression that Lily knew him. There was something about... There was something especially... Oh, the lines right, right. The- oh, yeah. And she has a connection to him, which I, that was what... Like I could say, it was so interesting is I don't know... Even though it was nine minutes, it still doesn't explain everything. Did no. Rosemary kill him? Did she get? Is she a patsy? Right. I mean, she's it's it, it. has so much going on, all these moving parts, and he and I didn't realize it was nine minutes.
2: Right, and um, then you until
1: have until I actually looked at the time. To then in. you have Rosemary on the
2: gallows and doesn't even blink. So did no. Rosemary kill him, or is she just there as a witness to the hanging? Uh, uh, it's just yeah, it leaves, and delightfully so, leaves a lot of questions unanswered. the story is rich enough to where you can almost see the mud on their boots getting scraped off on the on the porch you know it's just wow what the hell happened which is probably the sense he's trying to invoke with the towns wondering what the hell happened who was that guy you know and they had business back in town waiting on you know they had one more member back in town so he he feels like the gang leader to me of this old west gang so he probably gets the money and he meets up and takes off and the town is left with its collective head spinning of who was that guy and what happened
0: <laughs> yeah. i love that
1: yeah it was great i i i can say my score doesn't doesn't tell the the tale of how much i enjoyed this
0: yeah now that i'm listening to you guys talk <laughs> about this i feel like a complete a-hole with my score <laughs>
2: hey you got a the add uh, it's good that you put that wow. up there it is a challenge to listen to a song this long it just is yeah you know
0: it is it is yeah, I feel bad with my three score. Woo. Wayne, what do you got?
1: And like I say, and I gave it a four. I But I mean, I really enjoyed this song. I, I, to the point where I was like, is there all a four? Is that, was that what I got?
0: I uh, gave it an like, eight, guys. I know. <laughs> I know, and I can tell that you love the song. So I really do. Uh, it, although I remember even as a young guy, it took a while for this one to get me because yeah. it
2: was just so long and uh, you know, the music is good and it sounds like something being played in a barrel house in the old west maybe uh, and it get, I, I noticed as a musician I, I love several of these songs before the days of click tracks the song starts at one tempo and really ramps up towards the end but it does it seamlessly so it gets more and more exciting and, and I just really love the song I'm a, kind of a sucker for it uh, I understand uh, your your, uh, your your points on it guys definitely it's, it's long It's it, it's, it, it's it's like a, that novel that you know you like this writer but the book weighs three pounds when am I going to start and finish this sucker
0: you know this was uh, this was Moby Dick to me
2: <laughs> it is Moby Dick
0: yeah. it is little, little uh, action going on here sorry yeah yeah. Just, yeah all right moving on if you see her say hello oh man
3: if you get close to her, kiss her wants for me. Always have respected her for doing what she did and getting free. Oh, whatever makes her happy, I won't stand in the way. Oh, the bitter taste Still lingers on From the night I tried to I'll let you
2: guys, when you guys start in because uh...
0: Yeah, I don't have many notes on this other than to say I really love Jeff Buckley's cover of this. Oh, again, I heard, yeah, that's a good one. Not, not to allude to our next episode because we're going to chat about Jeff again for next episode on Leonard Cohen so um, I don't really have a whole lot of notes, so Wayne get us get us started on this one
1: this is the one that that i i think i I felt like i rated it higher than uh maybe i should because it had a it it had that genuineness it really was very heartfelt like in you can hear it in his voice because there's times where it 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 feels kind of clumsy but it almost like that he has a real story that he's that he's trying to wedge into this song Uh and so sometimes it doesn't It doesn't exactly work other than the fact that it feels so hard on your sleeve raw emotion like that it comes that it came through and like spoke to me and plus the sentiment like you know I I know why you did it and it's and and like the line if you get close to her kiss her for me I just that one just Uh, that just crushed
2: yeah that's that's the heart gripper right there man um I have a slight biased on this one because it's One of the only songs from this record and i don't do that many cover songs when i do my solo shows but this is one that i occasionally cover because i just it's just so it's poignant and and as you said it's a little clumsy here and there but to me that just makes it that much much more visceral and real and believable i when i hear him sing it i really believe this guy and uh he's just his heart yeah he's to the point where his heart is so broken You know and he he takes you in and out of it with the yellow moon and uh, the sundown and might be in tangier i mean he's got these little moments where he sort of gives you a shape of getting out of the heartbreak here and there but it's just one of the saddest songs ever written by my estimation it's just so pure and i also really like that he uses third person to relay his heartbreak to this woman but then he catches himself uh you know uh she might think that i've forgotten her don't tell her it isn't so I'm like oh my god you know he catches himself he doesn't want her to know how much he's missing her he's like hanging on to that little thread of of himself or strength or something i don't know it's just just such a damn sad song but beautiful
0: yeah this was uh okay let me let me see if you guys can guess where this was recorded minneapolis or new york
2: new york Wow, I, I you know all, all my pre, preconceptions are shattered. Is this Minneapolis? This is
0: Minneapolis. Yeah, <laughs> wow. and uh, from from the notes that I gathered, so this song and the previous song were the last two that were recorded for the record.
2: Ooh, that says a lot too. Wow, maybe by the end of the record, he'd really just ramped himself up to just being completely vulnerable and saying, "Yeah, my heart's been ripped. I'm just going to sing about it and move on." That's
0: that's, ex- he- that's exactly what oh. I what I gathered from that. So, yeah, um, all right, just undeniable heartbreak. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. All right, let's get some scores. Johnny seven, Wayne six, and uh, I'm giving it a five. This was as high huh. as my seven at one point. And, wow! And I just kept moving stuff around. So <laughs>
2: it's a tough record to to, to rate that it is, way. It
0: is. It's just. I get it. Uh... I get it. Uh, uh, very similar to. Uh, so Wayne, uh, I told you that that somebody had shared our Joe Henry record, and one of the one of the uh, or our Joe Henry episode, and one of their criticisms of of it was. I, i'm not listening to this record in terms of scoring their scoring is weird it's like <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> all right thanks buddy all right uh so uh second to last song here's uh shelter from the storm
3: not a word was spoke between us there was a little risk involved everything up to that point had been left unresolved Such a good song.
0: Um, so I'm just gonna throw this out there. This is my this is my top score. Uh, there's something about this song that is just it gets me. Um, lots of uh, and and it seems like Hollywood has gotten it as well uh, because one of the first things that I I researched was how often. This has been used in TV and film. Uh, for me, most notably, it was in Jerry Maguire. Uh, wow! Um, ton, ton of, ton of, uh, ton of episodes of. Let's see, I'll, I'll just throw these out: Alias, Criminal Minds, uh, Numbers, National Geographic used it in their miniseries Mars, Crossing Jordan. If you guys remember Crossing Jordan, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, you would. Yeah, that's a. Isn't that a true crime series? Yes, it yeah. is. You bet it is. Yeah. So, um, anyways, I, I don't know. I this is this is this is perfect for my ADD. It's about five minutes long, <laughs> uh, and it does tell a story as well. And uh, this is just this is a perfect song for me. Any guesses, Minneapolis or New York? I was I was wrong last time. So I'm going to say
2: Minneapolis
0: no New York wow jeez.
2: yeah <laughs> what do I know uh, all I know uh, well I, here's what I know the song's protagonist I loved it uh, here again he's pummeled as he traverses time and space he's, uh, he's buried in hail he's hunted like a crocodile uh, it, the song is peopled with men who would do him harm and I liked it that it's usually men you know and crocodiles and these terrible things but his alluring salvation every time comes around full circle to this woman uh you know uh with flowers in her hair and silver bracelets and she's just there uh to to offer him salvation and shelter i love that it's just a lovely sentiment and it's i think it's it, that gives it its its timelessness uh, i mean every man or woman has felt this way about a woman uh where wow you know it's that simple right here right now that no matter what hell i've gone through She's offering me a place to 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 be away from that and to be just simply loved and cared for. Uh, and that's just so just resonantly beautiful about this song. Um, this is a favorite of mine. It's one of my top all time Bob songs. You know, It's just
0: it's just beautiful. Well said.
1: Yeah. this one this one stuck out right away when I listened through the album. I'm, I can't recall if I've heard it before. But one thing that I did notice in this classic Bob Dylan is he takes it, and it sounds like it's about a woman, like it's just simply about a woman. But if you listen to it, I think sometimes it is, but sometimes it's bigger concepts. Mm. Like he's done this before, he does it beautifully here. But I mean, the one-eyed Undertaker and the uh. you know blowing the bugle futilely. Feud- I like it. Felt like the shelter from the storm was death, and there was Uh-oh. another line in there about overdose and gambling for my clothes. And it felt it felt to me like a drug like you know something like heroin is you know telling you that she's the shelter from the storm so he takes these these lines and i think sometimes it is as simple as about a girl in silver bracelets and flowers in her hair but sometimes in between he's mixing these because there was one about almost like guys at war like it almost felt like a you know liberty and there's one towards the end where he's the way he describes it it feels like she's hope that's going to shelter you from the storm so he's why it's just and I I didn't get as good as I, I thought I had more tens I, I might have given a couple out because this one right away and the more I listened to it the more I loved it and it does like that classic Bob Dylan thing where it sounds like it's something so simple as a woman telling you that uh, you know I'll I love you and I'll protect you and then it's these but these bigger themes are mixed mm. in there and it was just was total
2: cool. good points absolutely. She sometimes feels. See, I'm giving her a, a gender and a reality. She sometimes feels like every woman. She feels if it, it's it's almost like he's paying homage to the gender and to the the power and, and the sweetness women, yeah. of all women uh, as they're viewed and felt uh, in in by their their loves, their men. Um, yeah, it, it's it's. I think it's yeah, good points, Wayne. All of the above. All of the above. I mean, he's he's saying a hell of a lot here uh the imagery is dark i mean he's just you know one again once again it's one of those songs where he has gone through living hell uh and uh you know through the centuries through you know different points in time and place and here she is again whoever she or it uh with this great feminine uh you know id you know what it what, what is that and, and it's his escape and she saves him every time and yet again it's it's that that song structure again where the song title is the last line and i love when bob does that it's an old folk uh tool but in his hands it's not it just becomes the centerpiece of in in when when bob writes songs like this or tangled up in blue where that last line is the title and it's 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 what would have normally been a chorus if it were a standard pop song but it's certainly not it's more like the chapters of a book and the last line of every chapter in the book brings you back to here here's what this this uh, book's about uh and gives you that tagline and i love that and in this song is it is meant as much as any bob song uh just uses that to just this great strength yeah you know you by by the second third verse you know that the last line is going to be shelter from the storm come in she said you know and she puts it in a different way but the last line is always shelter from the storm and you just imagine her open arms taking this poor bedraggled creature in (laughs) you know i love that
0: yeah all right i've already told you my score wayne a seven capital seven capital seven there you go and then johnny it's it's a nine for me yeah all right let's wrap this up last song (laughs) buckets of rain
3: I like the smile in your fingertips I like the way that you move your hips I like the cool way you look at me Everything about you is bringing me misery red wagon a little red bike i ain't no monkey but i know what i like i like the way you love me strong and slow i'm taking you with me honey baby when i go
0: i really like this song but i felt as though the sequencing you you just left the high high of shelter from the storm and then you got buckets of rain not that buckets of rain is not a great song I I like this song as well as you'll see reflected in my score but felt like shelter from the storm would have been a perfect way to end this record
2: yeah I agree with that I I do too sequencing is all important and we're breaking down the whole structure of sequence here and doing it our way which is cool I like that but yeah uh, buckets of rain it's the last song on the record uh it left me a little but maybe that was his way of tapering off and making things a little lighter with silly amusing rhymes that got all these buckets coming out of my ears you know right uh you know it, it's a little silly here and there uh you got all the love honey baby i can stand i mean it's a lot of blues adages and a lot of blues uh you know uh, very simple underachieving lines but they're kind of strong because they're underachieving it's kind of lulled me at the end. Re- i'm not that i'm too much of a problem being a bit at the end of the record but uh, the song itself just doesn't knock me out uh in a way that four or five of the other ones just pummeled me and are still with me from the very first time i heard them till now so that's a lot of decades man yeah to, to <laughs> i one, mean
0: to your yeah. point of 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 maybe ending it on you know a little more fun song because shelter from the storm is that's pretty heavy stuff right yeah it is so (laughs) so maybe yeah all right i'm i'm not gonna completely depress you so that you know after you 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 can't say that you killed yourself after listening to my record right (laughs) yeah
2: it's a little bit of a taper down musically yeah uh maybe that's not so bad but it also has some poignant some good lines like you know uh it's Strong Like an Oak, you know, I've seen pretty, pretty people come and go, go like smoke. Uh, it's got some, it, some telling little you know, overviews of uh, the old soul that uh, Bob seems to be.
1: I like that. And for me, this was all, for me, this was all about the music for, for once, because I mean, this whole record has been full of, of these great lyrical songs, with whether they be poems or stories, and it all is, and this one, I love the way it sounds. And the way it feels. And I don't even, mm-hmm. I don't know that I, other than reading the words, I don't necessarily hear him because it's got this great bass. And then it's got, he's, he doesn't, there's no chord strums. It's all these really cool acoustic picked riffs that go through it. And, yeah. and it just, and the way his voice is, it, it feels like, it, I mean, his voice, I wrote in my notes, as cool as I've ever heard it. And so when I listen to this song, all I'm here. I hear the the music and I hear his voice, but I, I honestly I can't hear what he he. I can't really. I'm not hearing what he's saying. Uh, it just has this really cool sound and feel to me, Then which is odd because, like I say, he's the lyrics in this all through this. The nine songs previous this, they're all good. Even the ones that I, I rate are rated lower still have this these great this poignancy to them. And then this one, I just, mm-hmm. I just hear it, and I just make it, just makes me feel good.
2: Yeah, me too. Uh, and it's got the, 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 like the smile in your fingertips, I like the way you move your hips. It's very sensual. Uh, the cool way you look at me. Everything about you is bringing me misery. He's brought back to that blues man. Oh, baby, you're aching me. You're, you're hurt. You, everything about you is bringing me misery. That just tapers off on that sensual little bit. And like, yeah, it's just a. And he sings it so well. It's just melodically wonderful. I agree.
0: Yeah, I agree with both your points because the the musicality of it um, kind of mm-hmm. makes up for the lyrics. Which lyrically, it, when you are comparing it to the other songs on this, not not super strong, but it just seems to work. Like the the very last verse of "Life is sad, life is a bust. All you can do is do what you must." You do what you you must do, and you do it well. I'll do it for you, honey, baby. Can't you tell? I mean that. I mean that's just. It, there's there's a lot. There's yeah. there. Yeah, but it 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 almost sounds cliche, but it's not.
2: Right, right. It uh, it sounds bluesy, blues cliche. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but yeah. yeah, it's it's uh, it's not it's not throwing you any big challenges. There are no hammers coming at you here.
0: No, yeah. no all right let's get some scores and wrap this up so johnny <laughs> johnny what you got a buckets of rain is a bucket of twos <laughs> and then wayne i gave it an eight for the way it made me feel yeah yeah and i i gave it a seven again because okay. uh i just like the musicality of it all right so um did we cover everything did we miss anything on this record oh i don't think so
2: yeah oh. Felt pretty thorough.
0: I think we I think, I we covered think it. We got it. All right. Any guesses what our number one song is? Uh, tangled up in blue's got to be up there. Tangled up blue. Yeah, tangled up in blue. That's definitely our uh, our one. That's an average score of nine. Nice guesses for number two. Shelter. Yeah. Eight point six six. How about guess for number three?
1: Simple twist of fate.
0: Yep. And then uh yeah. and then here's where uh our weighted scoring um threw things off here a little bit. So um so J- Johnny, unfortunately, Wayne and I screwed up your uh, <laughs> Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. I got you. Yeah, I got you. So that's just out on the periphery <laughs> of the top 5. So uh we got if you see her say hello that got an average score of 6. So that's our fourth okay. song. And then number five, Buckets of Rain. Sorry, Johnny. <laughs> Buckets of Rain. Yeah, we... Okay. We... It is musically wonderful, yeah. but, uh, you know,
2: after you've been pummeled by uh, Tangled Up in Blue and, uh, you know, some of the other ones, it just seemed a little lightweight to me. But,
0: okay. Yeah. So there's our five. Are, wow. are we good with that five? I'm so good with it, exactly. yeah. All right. Well, Johnny, this has been a pleasure revisiting with you. So uh, remind our listeners where they can find all the happenings of Johnny Hickman and Cracker and whatever else you're, uh, you're doing these days. Uh, for all the uh, the fans, all the crumbs listening, uh, a, a shout out of
2: respect to you and, and and gratitude for staying with us through a lot of years. And every year we have new people come to the party. Uh, your sons and daughters are coming to see Cracker now. It's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we'll be on tour until we drop that's who we are as people and that's who we are as a band. So we'll see you out there somewhere and in the meantime uh Mr. Lowry has a new solo record and I've got one that's partly finished and you know uh we'll we'll see you on the lonesome go as I call it. Nice.
0: Cool. And uh when is the when's the camp in?
2: The camp in is at the end of, end of January. Uh in Athens, Georgia, where's where everybody in the band lives but Johnny. I live here in Colorado. But it is our new uh, sort of meeting place for all the fans worldwide and uh it's just a spectacular city and uh and a great place to, to throw our festival. So if you uh, have a hankering, come and see us at the camp Inn, end of January uh
0: this coming year. All right. And you're 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 essentially telling me that I've got a I've got to drive up for that <laughs> or I'm not or <laughs> Or I'm, or I'm not a good fan. So There I, you go. I get it. But
2: <laughs> well, the challenge has been thrown down, and I wouldn't have thrown it down so vehemently if it weren't uh, just a couple states away. I'm
0: feeling know. the pressure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, I'll put it this way. This is the way I tell uh, the fans when they, when they are thinking about coming to one of the festivals. If, if you don't have a good time, I will personally refund your money. There I will you buy go. you dinner
0: that night, brother. Yeah, cool, cool all right so so last question before we wrap this up i lift this question from a fellow podcaster here in orlando who does the scotch and good conversation podcast um just got his rankings he's the third most popular podcast here in the orlando area so kudos to uh to that podcast so the question is who do you know that I don't know who would want to join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? Mm. Uh, songwriter Ike Riley. Ike Riley. He's the best. He's the best
2: songwriter going, uh, in my estimation, right now. And he would love this. He would absolutely love the format. I think he'd have a good time. Uh, look him up. Uh, you owe it to yourself to check him out.
0: Ike Riley. Okay. We'll uh, we'll chat offline and make that happen You got it. All right. So, uh, as a reminder, you can find all of our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited Podcast. We're on Instagram using the hashtag Records Revisited Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Stitcher, our podcast host page over at Potomatic. But you can find us just go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. We are also on the old Twitter now. Wayne, remind me what the Twitter handle is because I forget it every single time that we do this.
1: Podcast
0: Records? That's right. At Podcast Records. I'm jotting this down as we speak. At Podcast Records. There you go. There you go. Fantastic. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. Visit a record store. And not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited. And we are... Out. 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 <laughs>